From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. After nearly two years of lockdowns and border closures, there was hope that this summer things might be different. But then Omicron hit. Now, Australia is entering year three of the COVID-19 pandemic. Case numbers are higher than ever, hospitals are being pushed to their limit, and rapid tests are extremely difficult to find. So how did we get here? Today, senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton, on how COVID-19 caught up with Australia this summer and what the federal government could have done to better prepare for this moment. It's Monday, January 24. Hello, Rick. How are you? Look, I'm I'm relaxed, uh, somewhat. I'm back from holidays, so it's good to be back in a routine again, which is nice. It's good to hear your voice again. Ah, likewise. I missed out a little chats. Well, we missed you too. That's why you're the very first 7am guest of 2022. Don't lie to me. <laughs> it's just because I'm writing about COVID, isn't it? I honestly thought I wouldn't have to this year. <laughs> really? You thought, um, you know, 2022, it might all be over? No. Near the end of 2021, like November-ish, I thought, well, maybe it'll be okay. And then, of course, December happened. And then I was like, well, I know what I'm doing next year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it is year three of the pandemic now. And I think in a lot of ways, at least here in Australia, it does seem to be the the worst moment that we've been in. There are more cases, there are more hospitalizations, there are more deaths than there have been at, at any other point. And that in turn is impacting our health system and our economy and all of us. It really does feel like this is the summer that COVID-19 caught up with us. So I was hoping that you could take a step back to the beginning of the summer and tell us what were you expecting would happen. Well, you know, towards the end of last year, things were starting to look pretty good. You know, after a slow start, our vaccination rates had reached over well over 90% uh, of the eligible population being double vaccinated which was one of the highest rates in the world. So everyone was, like, pretty stoked, right? And they should have been because that's a huge win. And so we started to return to normal. Borders were opened or were due to reopen soon. Restrictions were being eased. And and all of this was happening in the lead-up to Christmas. So we had that kind of summer of fun, hot back summer vibe happening. And it was a really big moment. I certainly felt the optimism in the air. I was pretty excited. And people were excited to go and see their family and friends again. And it felt like the pandemic, if not behind us was certainly merging into the rear vision mirror. But it was also around that time that the latest variant, Omicron, hit our shores. Mm. And that moment, the moment that we saw the first Omicron cases emerge in Australia, that was actually only seven weeks ago, Rick. And from there, we've seen it spread across the country. And I wonder, as we've seen that spread, has there been a moment where you started to realise that we might be in more trouble than we thought? Was it only seven weeks ago when we did that? That's amazing. Yeah, it does. It feels like a lifetime ago now. But, you know, in the lead-up to Christmas, we were seeing those enormous, really quite enormous lines outside testing centres. People queuing for as long as six hours with every testing clinic overwhelmed. Before it opened at 7am, people were already being told they had to be turned away. It's been closed now. Sorry. We were here, you know, two hours ago we were here and they said come back in an hour. I know, I'm sorry. And we are close that was the first sign that things were a little bit out of whack, almost like the canary down the coal mine. 
And there were two major problems. One of them was the, the rising cases due to Omicron. I mean, there were just so many more people needing tests. It went up, you know, tens of thousands of people. So there were, you know, more close contacts, more casual contacts, more people with symptoms. Um, and the other thing was that that's exact policy that Queensland had. I think Tasmania had it as well, where they were re- requiring PCR tests to get across those borders. And so that put extreme pressure on the system. I hate to use a cliche, but it really was a perfect storm. Um, And it resulted in this extremely stressful, complicated and messy end to the year with many people kind of missing travel, those family gatherings and holidays because of how overwhelmed that system was. Yeah, it was an incredibly stressful end to the year, Rick. And I think it was around this time that I got the sense that things were starting to, to fall apart a bit because contact tracing had stopped and it was hard to find a test anywhere. And it was really unclear what the protocols were in terms of close contacts and quarantining. And so essentially you had to make your own decisions and make these fairly complicated calculations about the level of risk that you were willing to take and that you're willing to take in regards to your family. And so I think that that was really stressful for a lot of people. Oh God, yeah. And you saw so many messages from people going, I can't get a rapid antigen test. So I'm not going to go to lunch with grandma. Um, and I haven't seen grandma in two years. Like just so many of those kind of individual calculations. And, and you know, that was something that the federal government was pushing very explicitly. We have to move from a culture of mandates to a culture of responsibility. That's how we live with this virus into the future. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, said it was time for Australians to take personal responsibility. But as a country, we've got to get past the heavy hand of government and we've got to treat Australians like adults. And we all have our own responsibility in our communities and for our own health. And he placed the onus on individuals to protect themselves against the virus and, by extension, their families. And he said he didn't want to implement this kind of culture of control and mandates. Now, in my home state, New South Wales, um, people are already wearing masks. They're not being fined if they don't because Australians know what is a common sense, responsible action to look after their own health and to look after the health of those around them. And it was around that time that the New South Wales Health Minister, Brad Hazard, was saying that everyone in Australia will get Omicron. Bottom line here is that uh, we would expect that pretty well everybody in New South Wales at some point will get Omicron. We're all going to get Omicron. And it felt like everyone in Australia was getting Omicron because the case numbers were climbing every day. The nation today hitting an unwanted milestone of half a million COVID cases since the pandemic struck. Daily infections are now higher... So it was just like it was everywhere. And you really felt like Neo in the Matrix kind of doing the bullet time dodge. And we went from one of the most locked down over police countries where $5,000 fines were being handed out for people leaving their five-kilometre bubble. And we pivoted to this absolute free-for-all where the government is saying things like, it's fine to go to work even if you're a close contact and where there's a complete vacuum of any public health initiatives. It's almost like we decided that we didn't care anymore. (laughs) That's what it felt like anyway. Mm, There was, I think, a real sense of of whiplash, Rick, going from, you know, managing coronavirus in Australia in this extremely strict way, long lockdowns, curfews, that kind of thing, to where we are now, where, you know, exposure sites are not really listed in places anymore. So... Where do you think that has has left us? Where would you say that we're at right now at the beginning of of twenty twenty two? Well, I think we're in a we're in a pretty bad way. I don't want to be alarmist about it because some things are are tracking better, but there's no doubt that our health system is under immense pressure. 
For the first time in Victoria's history, authorities have declared a code brown emergency for hospitals as the health system buckles under a rising wave of Omicron admissions. Our first statewide code brown means staff from areas such as elective surgery can be moved to the most crippled part of our health system. And of course Victoria has just implemented what they call a code brown and that will last for several weeks at least. Meanwhile, Rapid antigen tests are hard to come by and there are supply shortages of all sorts of goods because of people, workers, who have been holding up this paper-thin supply chain for the last two and a half, three years. They're falling sick or they're close contacts. So it remains unclear how this is all going to play out in 2022. And, you know, I think you'd be a mug if you tried to predict anything with any sense of accuracy. We'll be back after this. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship, and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest, Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Rick, it's notoriously difficult to predict how the pandemic is likely to play out. But if we look at just the the coming weeks, what do we know about what's likely to happen with the Omicron wave and when it might actually end? Yeah, Omicron's a really interesting beast because it's so transmissible. But that has kind of led to a kind of a flash and burn type effect in other jurisdictions around the world. Now, whether that's because of other measures or, or purely because of the biology of the virus is remains to be seen. But health authorities across Australia have said that, you know, this country seems to be nearing the peak of the Omicron wave. Some people believe the peak may have already arrived. Brett Sutton, for example, Victoria's chief uh, health officer, has said that the state's Omicron wave uh, may already be in the process of flattening and, and falling. Clearly, the, the picture from around the world, South Africa peaked uh, in a reasonably short period of time. The UK looks to have peaked. Some states in the US, New York, New Jersey, look to be peaking with their case numbers. Uh, the Chief Medical Officer for Australia, Paul Kelly, recently said that New South Wales is close to peaking if it hasn't already. The actual forecasting based on, on actual numbers of cases leads me to believe that we are close to the peak of this wave in terms of cases. But the surge in hospital admissions is still growing, and we can expect to see that at least if it doesn't keep growing massively, it won't fall sharply over the coming weeks because we've still got a lot of cases out there in the community. Omicron is a less severe variant of the coronavirus, but because of the sheer numbers, we're still seeing those extraordinary numbers of people going into hospital. The hospital system doesn't care about the kind of relative severity of variants. It cares about absolute numbers, and that's the problem we've got with the system right now, which is under extreme stress. Mm. Right. So we have hospitalisations continuing to rise, but the hope is that we are reaching the the peak of the Omicron wave now or that we will soon. But, Rick, it does kind of seem like on one hand the government has been saying that everyone is going to get COVID-19 now, but 
On the other hand, they haven't actually planned very well for that reality. So why aren't there more things in place that would help mitigate the impact of the spread? Things like more tests and potentially more capacity at hospitals, because it seems like there are a lot of practical things that could help, that could be in place, that just aren't. Yeah, that's kind of a a running theme of this whole pandemic, certainly in the Australian context. I mean, you can actually plot it. There are multiple points over the last three years where the federal government, we've, we've kind of didn't expect anything major to happen. All of our response to this, particularly our clinical response onto the ground, uh, continues to be proving highly effective in containing the impacts of this coronavirus. And then we started having cases in Australia in March 2020, and then, of course, um, the, the Prime Minister was at the footy or was going to go to the footy, and then, bang, snap lockdown. Australia is weathering this storm better than many and better than most. And then that first wave passed. So today our focus is on the road back. Today, we have put an Australia in a position to go forward. We have strengthened our health system and put the protections in place. And for whatever reason, they thought maybe things were better again. We are well ahead of where we'd hoped to be. Then, of course, we had new outbreaks. We are in a tough, tough fight with this Delta strain. Omicron, we all agree, presents another new challenge but we have faced so many challenges already. You know, the vaccines didn't get underway as fast as we would have liked them to have done. The rapid antigen tests were not ordered. So, you know, at every turn, it's like they expected things to get better. And, you know, I love I love to be an optimist. I love to think things are, are ultimately going to be okay, and they will be. But you still need to prepare for these things. You can't just say things are going to be okay and then turn off the tap of government support because the government support is the thing that makes things better. The thing that I think frustrates me personally watching all of this unfold is that there seems to be a dichotomy in the argument, which is that you have one or the other. And I, I don't think that's ever been the case. And the government can't fully get out of the way here because this is their one job. <laughs> this is what they're meant to do. So, Rick, when this wave, the Omicron wave, does eventually wane, What do you think is likely to happen next? Because it seems like this likely won't be the last strain of COVID-19 that we'll experience. So do you think that we're going to learn from the way we've approached this summer with Omicron? Do you think that we'll adapt? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, number one, I would love to see us stop making the old mistakes, failure to purchase the right supplies as they're needed. PPE in 2020, uh, vaccines in 2021, uh, rapid antigen tests at the end of 2021. You know, it's a theme. Happy for us to make all the new mistakes. You know, new mistakes are due to things that uh, are, you know, novel, but we shouldn't be making the old ones. And, you know, uh, the New South Wales Health um, Chief Health Officer, Dr Kerry Chan, I think said only a couple of days ago that um, certainly in New South Wales and probably the rest of the country, we will see more waves of infections, um, possibly with new strains, this year. Um, and things are going to be a bit bumpy. So 2022 is not the end as much as we would all like it to be. So we need to make sure testing is adequate. We need to make sure that isolation is appropriate, but not onerous, because you you do very much risk losing the will of the people at this point, (laughs) because people have been through a lot. But I think the overriding lesson is that the pandemic is not over. And I think where we've gotten in trouble in the past is thinking that after every kind of difficult challenge that it is over. And it's not. So... 
difficult as it might be, I think we need to inhabit that mindset for a bit, that we are still in this and we certainly are not living in a time where it's, where it's okay for governments to abrogate their responsibility to, to their citizens. Rick, thank you so much for your time today. It's great to have you back. Thanks, Ruby. It's good to be back. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today... Schools across New South Wales and Victoria are in the process of handing out millions of rapid antigen tests to parents ahead of the start of Term 1. All students and staff members will be required to complete the rapid tests twice a week for at least the first month of the school year. And the head of Tennis Australia, Craig Tiley, has blamed miscommunication and forever-changing conditions for the Novak Djokovic saga that overshadowed the start of this year's Australian Open. Tiley also shot down reports that Djokovic was planning to sue Tennis Australia and said he hoped the world number one would be back next year. Make sure you stay up to date with 7am by following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram as well. We're at 7am podcast. I'm Ruby Jones. See you tomorrow.